Well, amen. Amen. Welcome in. Man, what a service. Well, how God has moved already. And we are so thankful for all the baptisms, thankful for the life change uh, that's happening. Guys, can y'all bring the lights up, just uh, the crowd lights up some for me, please? Not those lights. Yeah. Yeah, them lights. All right, cool. Thank you. Man, uh, we, are, uh, we are so thankful that you're here uh, today. Man, lots going on. If you've seen our progress in the building, uh, we are framing that out. The fact that I am uh, de facto subcontractor for that building is proof that God has a sense of humor. Um, I found out yesterday, I don't like framing second floors as much as I liked framing the first floors. Uh, apparently, I have a little bit of a heights issue. Um, and like my toes were sore from like clinging to the uh, the plywood, <laughs> like the decking that was not actually nailed down yet. Nerve-wracking. So anyway, uh, with that said, glowing uh, commendations, we would love for you to help out uh, with that. If there's any men that are interested in helping out, we are uh, putting up the rest of the, the decking on the second floor uh, on Monday at 5 o'clock. And so if any men are interested in that, Jeremiah, I think, put a uh, post on the loop. Which you're not, If you're not following on the loop, please do that because that is a great way that we communicate uh, with you on Facebook. It's our uh, Lindsay Lane North uh, Lindsay Lane North Church, I think, is, the, is, is what we are on Facebook. And then, so you like that, and then you become a part of that group. Uh, and you'll have all the information that you need for what we have going on as a church. If you missed last week, uh, we, we also will have Sharpies available at Next Steps for the next few weeks. If you want to write on the studs or on the foundation a uh, verse or prayer request, or not prayer request, excuse me, do that for the Connect card, by the way. Um, but uh, if you have a prayer for the church or whatever, the building, we're, we dedicated that to the Lord and did that last week. And so if you would like to take your family, my family actually, full family wasn't here. So we're going to do that today uh, as well. So our, our kids weren't with us. They were at Pawpaw's church. So we will be uh, doing that uh, as well today. So make sure you see Next Steps to do that. Uh, it's just a way that we are just uh, wanting everything that we do in that building to be bathed in prayer uh, and in God's Word. So, uh, but, uh, but if you open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17, we are continuing our series entitled After His Heart, a case study in the life of David. And talking about with David what it meant for him to be a man. For Paul, centuries later, to say that he was a man after God's own heart. For God himself to speak through Samuel and tell Saul that he had a man that was after his heart uh, is incredible verbiage that we need today. What does it look like to be a man or a woman after God's heart? What does it look like? For the Ostrisky home to be a family after God's heart. What does it mean for us as a church body to be after God's heart? We're coming off of Easter and it's a real high day. And it's a, it's a uh, time where we really focus on the resurrection and, and all the victory that we have in Jesus but the, the life of Christ, uh, the Christ life is not to be lived with the ups and the downs, even though that may look like our lives at times. What God desires for us is steady maturing and growth. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit as it continues and abides with us and in us. Right? And so what does that look like practically? And so we're looking at the life of David. Last week we talked about the period of waiting, the battle that took place in, in David's life from 15 years from when he was anointed king by Samuel till he took the throne. 15 years of chaos, right? He had to go back to the fields and work. He served as a servant under the king. He was literally one of Saul's slaves, right? Like, like, what did his life look like? Saul would seek to kill David, and David would be in hiding for some of those years. Like, all the time being anointed king, and then all the waiting that would take place. While he's in this period of waiting, what happens in his life that perhaps he's most famous for is his battle with a giant. Ba the, his battle with a man named 
Goliath. And so today in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to look at first Israel's opponent. The, the armies of Philistia had, had attacked and this was a perpetual battle between David and the Philistines, right? This is chapter 1 of the Philistines and David, but there are many, many chapters of Israel and, and, the, and the Philistines. By the way, it's still going on. Truthfully, it's still happening today in the Middle East. But 1 Samuel chapter 17, we see Israel's opponent. Read with me in your copy of God's Word. It says, Now the Philistines had gathered their armies for battle. They were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekiah, Ezekiah in Ephesh Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. I actually had one of our church members uh, last service tell us that they went and saw this battlefield. It's a hill on one side and a hill on the other. Not really mountain. We're not talking about the Rockies here, right? But like a hill on one side and a hill on the other side. A North Alabama mountain, all right? And, and these armies were assembled in a valley in between, and they are staked against one another. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose, weight, whose height was six cubits and a span. He was over nine feet tall. If these... If, if the original manuscripts are correct, he was over nine feet tall. There's, some, uh, there's different manuscripts that have different things, but uh, like the Dead Sea Scrolls have him at a different... But regardless, he is a big, big dude. And so this was common practice in the day when, when, when two powers would fight against each other. In order to maintain their power for longer, it doesn't, you can't maintain your power if all your people die in battle. So they would have these champions paraded out and it would, they'd come out with a lot of fanfare and cheering and all of these things. But the greatest warrior that one side had would go against the greatest warrior that the other side had and they would fight. This was not uncommon. Uh, they must have known something like this was happening. They maybe didn't realize, my dear Lord, this guy is over nine foot tall, right? But out comes this battle-hardened giant, Goliath of Gath, and he is, with all the pomp and circumstance, with all of the fanfare, he is paraded out before the people as the nation of Philistia's champion. Goliath of Gath, nine feet tall. We have other description about him. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail. The, the, the coat of mail that he would wear on his body was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Not his entire armor. Just that one coat of mail was 125 pounds. Around at least 125 pounds. He had, a bronze, he had bronze armor on his legs. A javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a, beaver, uh, a weaver's beam. Uh, that is almost 20 feet long and two and a half inches thick. This guy was larger than life, right? In the spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. This is over 15 pounds that he is launching like a spear. He is launching a long way, 15 pounds in the head of this spear and his shield bearer went before him he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel why have you come out to draw up for battle you come all out all, all high and mighty and then you retreat am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul notice who he chooses as the nation's leader Saul, the king, the one who's head and shoulders above the others. Are you not Saul's servants? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul heard these words, and all of Israel, the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly 
afraid. Look, skip down to verse 16. For 40 days, 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. If I'm doing my math right, if he did it in the morning and he did it in the evening, for 40 days... Lick Skillet Math tells me that's 80 different times he has stood before the armies of Israel and shook his fist at them, wagged his finger, nana nana, boo boo, you can't whoop me. 80 times. And we know what the response of Israel is. 80 times. They go out to battle. And then they run and hide. Like, this is hilarious. There's more, by the way, in this story that's super funny. And just because we know the story, some of the humor is lost on us. I hope it's not today. But that's hilarious. 80 times, go get them, man. No. You know, like every time they go out, for about, we got them, we got them this time. Man, he's huge. Let's go, let's hide behind a rock, right? Like, this is what happens 80 reps of this has gone on. And so then, immediately, the perspective shifts to David. This is what's happening for 40 days. The great armies of Israel and Saul are completely and totally stalemated against this one warrior. No champion. Saul was the rightful person to do it. He was head and shoulders over everyone else. So the average uh, height, people were by, uh, by average shorter than, according to some of the artifacts and stuff that we find. So if the average person was five, average man was five foot, Saul would have probably been something like seven foot, right? So he was a taller man. He was the most equipped. He had the battle experience. Like he was the guy to do it. But even Saul is hiding away. Right? Even Saul refuses to fight this man. And then we go to Jesse's farm. Little Jesse's farm. And Jesse calls, unbeknownst to all that is going on, Jesse calls in his youngest son, ruddy in appearance, scrawny, yet handsome. He's good looking. He brings him in and gives him a task. Jesse said to his son in verse 17, Take for your brothers an ephah of parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. Don't just give it to your brother. like Give it to their boss and maybe they'll get a little better standing with the, with the boss man, right? Like bring food to them. Bring food. David became the first employee at Uber Eats. Right? Like Grubhub. He, like he's sent off to get food for his, for his brothers, for his commander. See if your brothers are well and, take, and bring them some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. That's a funny word because there's not a whole lot of fighting going on at this point. But look at verse 20. David rose early in the morning and he left the sheep with a keeper and he took the provisions and he went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out for the battle line, shouting the war cry. I have to imagine this was a pretty defeated war cry. Okay, men. Yeah, okay. You know, like, all right, let's go do what we've done the last 40 days, right? Like, this is not going to end well. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage. And he ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up. James Bond. James Bond, right? I don't know why he switched up the name there. Came up out of his ranks to the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. This is unique. This hasn't happened for 40 days. David heard him. Little, runt, scrawny, but good-looking. David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man? This is verse 26. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? 
For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who was Saul picking a fight with? The servants of Saul. The armies of Saul. For the first time in 40 days, somebody, somebody finally clued others in to a different perspective other than what was in front of them. For the first time, it is not Saul's army. Goliath is not wagging his finger at Saul's army. He is, in fact, a reproach against God's army. We are the armies of the living God. Have we lost our spiritual minds? Little bitty, runt, squeaky, Going through puberty, David is going, what are y'all doing, guys? Who's going to fight this guy? To him, it was a no-brainer. So much so, he asks about the prize. Hey, what do I get if I beat this guy? What, if I get, what do I get when I fight him and I win? Like, what, what do I get? And they tell him, right? And he's like, all right, Saul's daughter, great, cool. Like, He's asking about the rewards as if he's already won. Everybody has run for 40 days, 80 times, two times a day. They have went out for battle and ran away and hid. And David just walks up and goes, Hey, y'all gonna let him talk to you like that? All these big, burly men. Sign me up. I'll do it. It's a no-brainer to him. Anyone would look at the circumstances with their physical eyes and go, well, if anybody is, meets the requirements needed, meets the uh, resume to defeat a battle-hardened giant, it sure as heck isn't David. And David's, with equal assurance, is going, let me at him. Hold me back, Eliab. Which is, in fact, what Eliab does. But David's response speaks to perception. You see, when, as soon as Goliath walked out, as soon as that mean, big, bad giant walked out, everybody in Saul's army began to look at the giant. And David just looked past that. The math that they were doing was, okay, roughly five foot something inches tall versus nine, over nine feet tall. My little measly spear, his 20 foot spear over there. This ain't looking good. It's not measuring up. I'm out. David was doing different math. He looked past that giant into a spiritual realm in which that giant had zero backing. And he remembered the anointing that he had received. And he remembered that the army that he fought for was not Saul's army. It was the army of the living God. And David couldn't lose. In his mind, he couldn't lose. I'm going to tell you, every one of us have giants. Every one of us. Some of you, it may be your past. Some of you, it may be what you think is your future. Some of you, it may be a sin in your life, an addiction. Some of you, it may be your family of origin. Some of you, it may be your current family situation. We all have giants. And as long as we're looking at our giants, we're missing the math that God has called his people to. I know it's cliche. I know it is something that we put in memes and post on Facebook, but don't tell our 
Don't tell your God how big your giants are. Tell your giant how big your God is. Right? Like this is what David is doing. He's looking around going, what are you doing, guys? We have the God that split the Red Sea. We have the God that defeated the Egyptians. We have the God that tore down the walls of Jericho. We have this God. What in the world are you thinking? I'll go. I'll fight. Secondly, we see David's opponents. When you begin thinking this way, your mind leaves an infatuation with the physical world and begins to look at things that are eternal and spiritual. It's amazing the opponents that you gather. Look at verse 28. Now Eliab, who is Eliab? The eldest brother. The eldest of the brothers. He was the one that Samuel said when he first met him, Oh, 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 yeah, God, I see what you're doing. It's that guy that you want me to anoint as king. He looks the most like Saul. He's strapping. He's he's young. He's, he's, He's big. He's strong. He's tall. It's Eliab, isn't it? And God says, quit looking at the outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. This is what Israel's guilty of. They're looking at an outward appearance. They're looking at at this Philistine, and seeing the outward appearance. Eliab, the one who David probably looked up to, his older brother, heard what he was saying when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Now it's not even just a lot of sheep, it's a few sheep. Like, true big brother form here. Right? Like, he is condescending to the max. Like, hey, Dave, who do you think you are? What are you doing here? Papa's sheep are just roaming the pasture. The few that you have, you have one job. What are you doing here? You hear just the laughable contempt in his voice. What else does he say? Why have you come down? With whom have you left those sheep? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Can I just tell you something? Eliab was wrong. He looked into, he looked, he thought at David's heart and said, I see the evil that's in it. Just because someone's close to you does not make that person right. I would argue just because they mean well does not make them right. We don't get our cues from man. Not only is David having to entertain the context and the idea of fighting a nine-foot giant, but now his eldest brother, who's hiding behind the rock like a big old sissy, is telling him he can't do it either. Get back to the sheep. David is undeterred. He turns away from him in verse 30. Toward another. (laughs) My brother ain't going to listen to me. I'll talk to somebody else. And he spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. And when the words that David spoke were heard, they were repeated. They finally made their way to Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, this is funny. Giant Saul. David said to Saul... Let no man's heart fail because of him. I almost have this picture of little old David, but good looking, walking up to Saul. And Saul's like sobbing in his hands. Like, I just can't do it. I know I'm supposed to. I just can't. And little old Pitsquit, it's okay, King Saul. Like, I'll do it. You know, like, like it's, it's, it's laughable. It's hilarious. Right? Massive King Saul. It's okay, buddy. Like, I'll go. You don't have to. You know? Like, I mean, this is, this is what we see here. It's hilarious. We miss it when we just run through it. <laughs> this little teenager is consoling this mighty king. Don't cry. You know, I'm, I'll do it, okay? Don't cry. Just, just quit crying. You know? Like, this, what, what's going on here? Don't let any man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. 
Saul, since you were knee-high to a duck, this man's been killing folk. That's what he just said. You small. Since he was tiny, he was killing people. You can't do it. His own, his own brother accused him of evil. The king now has told him he can't do it. But David is undeterred. He tells him his resume. He gives him his crude little as resume to beat the giant, this massive giant. Here's some animals I whooped. Right, like I, I swung a rock and I hit him and I grabbed the, the, the lion by the beard and I beat him up. You know, like he's given his little resume to King Saul. So much so that Saul actually lets him do it. Okay, fine, dude. Like you can do it. But Saul feels bad. So what does he do? Baseball season is here. I love baseball season. My son plays seven and eight, and I'm one of the coaches for his team. And there is always a way that you could determine if a team needs business. When you get there, first of all, when they get there is very important in rec ball. If they're rolling in there with, you know, like, and it's five minutes after the game's supposed to start, like, okay, we got this. This is fine. The other way is when you watch, you look at their catcher. Their, if their catcher is rocking $450 Mizuno or all-star gear and it fits as tight as a tiger on every part of their body, you know we are in trouble, right? We got travel ball kids moonlighting as rec league kids. We about to get... If you know, you know. I'm just telling you, you know. If you know, you know. When that kid's like diving on the ball and there's no pass balls in three innings and you're in seven and eight, you're like, what is going on? Catcher will tell you a lot. And then there's other catchers. And they come in a little bit like this. Come on in, Kathleen. Yeah. Come on in, sweetie. Come on. Can you walk? <laughs> She's got a dress on, too. In truth, y'all, Kathleen is standing in for my daughter who bailed. Come on in. Y'all give her a hand. All right, girl. You're falling apart on us. Here you go. Let me put you on the stage here so everybody can see you. There you go, sweetie. Man, doesn't she look good, y'all? Y'all give her a hand. It's a, little, uh, it's a little big on you, I think, isn't it? Game face. That's game face, by the way. All right, game face. Kathleen, I'm so thankful that you did that. Thank you. Give me a high five. All right, y'all give her a hand. There you go, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, my daughter bailed on me. Like, I had all these plans for my daughter to do it, but, man, that, that works perfectly. You get this kid that comes trotting up. <laughs> that, that shin guard is turned all the way around now. That is so perfect. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Um, the kid shows up, and man, that catcher's gear is just hanging on them, right? Like, it's ever, like, they could, their whole body could hide behind the chest protector, and you get out there, and you're like, oh, you know, they've got, like, 40-year-old equipment, and, you know, that was, like, their great-aunt, great-great-great-uncle's uh, equipment, and, you know, like, you could just tell, right? Like, they are not prepared. That, that equipment was not purchased specifically for them. And if it says one size fits all, it lies, right? So, think about that. And I, I want you to read, I want to read this to you. This is exactly what happens to David. David is perseverance, and he's going to do it. And Saul's like, dang, but I feel so bad. Like, I should do it. I got it. I'll let him have my armor. Verse 38, when Saul clothed David, then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. Right? Saul was probably seven feet tall now on little bitty David. Right, And David strapped his sword. But good looking. He was good looking. Uh, and David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go. Now, we read that and go, he tried in vain to go. That means he couldn't, he couldn't work with it. Uh, what we don't see is the... We don't, we don't take time to paint that mental picture in our head. It's like my daughter when she puts on one of my shirts and like, tries to walk. It's like, pow, right? Like, 
This is what he's doing. He's got the sword. He tells him that this is what happens with his sword. David straps his sword over his armor. And he tried to go in vain like the sword's dragging the ground. And he's like, he, he cannot do it. It's hilarious. Like the catcher. Like, man, that is cute. And everybody, everybody, you know, everybody loves that catcher, right? Like, everybody loves him. Like, look at that kitty. That's my favorite part of baseball is watching that kid trot down the aisle, right? Some of you, that's your favorite part of the Sunday message for that kid walking down the aisle, right? Hurts my feelings a little bit, but that's fine. She's real cute. He tried in vain to go. But listen to what he says. For he had not tested them. David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. Little, little old David that's consoling Saul. It's like, Saul, I know you feel bad, but... I don't know where this voice is coming from, by the way. I know you feel bad, but I just can't use these. Like, it's not going to work, King Saul. Like, I could have told you if you'd have just asked me, but I wanted to make you feel like I, I haven't tested these. It was obvious. It was not going to work. It wasn't because they weren't tested. I don't care how long he tested them. It was never going to work, right? It just didn't look. It was bad. It was not going to help him. But Saul didn't know what to do, so he tried to do whatever he could to make him feel better. Like, uh, here's my armor, right? It wasn't going to work. So David put them off. Now, we think about catcher's equipment and you know, how, how silly and cute that can look. I'm going to tell you when it's not silly and cute. It's when we wake up every morning and we're still trying to put on the same armor of Papa or Mima. We're trying to put on the same faith as mom or dad of aunt or uncle, and, or God forbid, we're trying to fit the little protection that our sons or our daughters have experienced, the faith that they have experienced in a student ministry or a kid's ministry. We're trying to fit it on to prepare us for battle. It's not silly. It's ridiculous. You know why? Because you need to be fitted for your own armor. You need to be prepared with your own equipment. When we spend our lives riding the coattails of the faith of a husband or a wife or of a son or a daughter or a dad or a mom or a grandparent, we are trying to fit in other people's armor. Why did David know where to go to get the stuff he needed? Because it was tested by him. It was his sling. It was his staff. It was the rocks that he had picked in that brook a thousand times before. He knew what he needed. And the faith of another was not it. May we not be guilty of righteousness by association. There are so many in a cultural Christianity world today that are trying to be righteous by association. If I hang out with enough Christian folks, then maybe I'll be a good Christian. It ain't going to work. You will try in vain because that armor's not for you. May we be diligent, diligent to overcome our opponents, persevere, and may we test our own armor. When God comes through in a time of struggle and difficulty, it's obvious to us. We know it. Some of you in this room could give testimony of when armor was fitted just for you. When God's word or provision came through at the exact right moment, producing faith and grace within you. You can tell me about those times that God intervened and he fitted the armor for you. Otherwise, we just look silly. So what are we doing to clothe ourselves right, in armor tested, tested by God? Thirdly and finally, let's look at God's opponent. The perspective of David was never about the giant. It didn't matter if the guy was, was two foot tall or 200 foot tall. It was never about the opponent for David. And nobody could understand that. 
Nobody. Nobody got it. His older brother didn't get it. The king didn't get it. Nobody got it. But David saw God's opponent. Verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Now there's a lot of study about why he got five rocks. We do know that Goliath probably had four other brothers. We know at least one of those brothers was a giant according to 2 Samuel chapter 21 verse 19. One of those giants at least were a brother. It's reasonable that they might have all been brothers. And it's reasonable that David with as much faith as he had could have thought I'm ready to whoop all five of them. It's reasonable. Also, it is reasonable that David was not factoring out the fact that he didn't know how many rocks it was going to take. He wasn't going, man, I am an expert marksman. And my badge for the, you know, the Hebrew Sling Slingers Association tells me that I'm going to hit that giant right between the eyes. That's not what David was doing. He very well could have been factoring in human effort, human error. Like it might take me a ton. Of, I mean, that's a big old forehead, nine foot tall. That's a big old forehead, but I could miss it. I could miss it. So maybe I need five rocks. Maybe I need to hit. I don't know how it's going to go down, but I know that God is on my side. We don't know why he chose five smooth stones. All we know is he got five smooth stones, and it only took one. That's what we know. And David's, but David's response speaks of his preparation. He was prepared to fight. He was prepared with tested equipment. It had already been tested with the lion and the bear. There ain't no telling how many times that little shepherd boy had taken that sling and thrown a smooth stone into a tree or into a rock or had target practice. We're not told him, but he was prepared. He wasn't taken off guard by the conflict that he was about to go into. He knew it was going to be serious. Some of us enter this Christian walk so oblivious to the fact that if we are pushing back darkness, that darkness will push back. We're not prepared. And then we fall to stinking pieces when things don't go our way. Gosh, I never thought that would happen. Well, Satan don't waste his ammunition on people that ain't making a difference. He was prepared. Verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and he saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth. He was offended. The word there, he was offended that the Israelites had the audacity to bring out this little kid. He was offended by them. Ruddy and handsome in appearance. David's still good looking. We've established that. Again, it's just it's almost a joke at this point, like how we are talking about David. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me. I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Right? I mean, how many times had, had this Philistine faced off with other people? He had got, he hadn't just worked on his craft of killing people, he'd worked on the smack talk that precedes it, right? Like, he had got, hey, hey, come here, them birds got to eat too, birds, buzzards got to eat, right? He'd even mastered the smack talk. Then David said to the Philistine, boy, this is huge. You come to me with sword and with spear and with javelin. Boy, you look impressive over there. Nobody can deny I mean, we've got 80 different reps that tell you you are impressive looking. These, in, these, <laughs> these armies have run away every time. You look high and mighty with your sword and your spear and your javelin. But I come to you, not as an expert marksman in the field of rock slinging, not as some super crafty ninja-esque teenager, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. It's like Goliath looks at David and said, Boy, you're going to defeat me, you and what army? And David responds with, How about the host of heaven's armies? 
there is a power that you don't see. He'd already tried to tell the armies of Israel. He'd already tried to tell them. Now he is opening Goliath's spiritual eyes to a battle that Goliath doesn't see. And he is completely unarmed and unprepared. I come in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of are the armies of Israel. This is not Saul's army, dummy. You keep wagging your finger at Saul's army. You're not going to find them here. This is the armies of the living God here whom you have defied. Little man is growing up. You come to me in your own name, but I come to you in the name of the commander of all of heaven's army. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give your dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. He didn't even have his own smack talk. Right? Like he's piggybacking. Like Goliath says, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to feed these birds. And David's like, no, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to feed the birds even more. Right? It's like, like every kid on a school ground, like, your mama's ugly. Well, your mama's ugly, right? Like he didn't even, he's, he's piggybacking on the smack talk here. He's not just new at this. <laughs> that all the earth may know. That there is a God in Israel. David recognized what happens if God doesn't show up. If Goliath wins this, if the headlines go different, nobody's going to go, oh man, Goliath must have had help. But if David wins, God is the headliner. If David wins, everybody will know that there is a God in Israel because he just whooped a nine-foot-tall, battle-hardened warrior and still is good-looking. And all that is in the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David's response speaks of priority. He didn't see the battle as everybody else was seeing it. Little David, scrawny David, waddling out to go face this giant. He didn't see it that way. And the priority was not for David's name to be in the headlines. The battle was always the Lord's. It wasn't on his talent. It wasn't on his ability. It was always the Lord. The Lord was always going to receive credit. The giant is still standing, and David is saying, when you fall, it will be God who does it, not me. And when the Philistine arose and he came near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand out in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead yuck and he fell on his face to the ground so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and he struck the Philistine and killed him and there was no sword in the hand of David he didn't even have a sword, so he ran and he stood over the Philistine. He took the Philistine's own sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And then the men of Israel rose with a shout. And you can imagine what happened. They chased the Philistines as far as Gath to the gates of Ekron. So that the Philistines fell on the way as far as Gath and Ekron. David's response, throwing the stone, hitting the giant, the giant hitting the ground. His response in that moment speaks to completion. He wanted to finish what he started. Giants have a tendency to get off the mat. 
when we allow them to be less than dead. David took the sword and he slew the giant. He cut his head off with his own and nobody's limping away from that. Right? He knew that the Goliath, Goliath gets up, round two may not go the same way. So I've got to end it, and I've got to end it now. Paul would say, I make no provision for my flesh. Do you know what he means by that? He is giving no way that his flesh, his sin, can gain a foothold again into his life. He cuts the head off of the sin. He gets as far away from it as he possibly can. See, I think so many people, we don't cut the head off of our sin. Instead of, instead of that, we make provision for it. We make a way that if times get bad, if things get dark, we can get back to our sin. David ends it once and for all. God won the day. David's response speaks of prevention. He was guarding himself from future attacks from this enemy. But if you leave here going, I need to slay my, my, my giants like David did, I believe you've missed the whole intent of the story in the grand narrative of Scripture. The story of David is not the story of how you and I can defeat our giants. Scripture tells us that David plays a very key role in the Bible. Not just that he was a powerful king that killed a powerful man one time with a, with a slingshot. But David is a type of one who would come. The prophets would look to David as a precursor for one that would come. David as king, his lineage... His line would be passed down until someone enters the scene. David is a type of someone who would ultimately kill the greatest giant. David is a type of Jesus Christ. Ezekiel 34, Isaiah 11, over and over and over in the Psalms, even Jesus himself discusses David as a type in Matthew 22 and other places of a type of one who would come. The reality is we are not David. We are not giant slayers. The reality is our giants have already been slayed. Over 2,000 years ago, the suffering servant would come and he would be bruised for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquity. The chastisement that brought us peace would be upon him and by his wounds we would be healed. We're not the champion of our own story. The first message I ever preached as a pastor at Lindsay Lane North in the gym, I remember talking about the happy ending that all of us want to have. All of us want to have this happy ending at the end of our story. Some life well lived. A pastor to get up and say good things about us in our funeral. Right? Like That's what everybody wants. The problem is we are not the heroes of those stories. If we are to be anything, it is because we have recognized that we are in fact not the solution but the problem. And we have given over of ourselves to the true hero. To Jesus who bore our sins on the cross. Canceled the debt that stood before us. And just as David would slay the giant through the power of God. God can receive the victory in your life if you would surrender to him. The greatest victory of your life can come. If we are willing to surrender to him. This is what Jesus has done for us. He's our giant slayer. He's David. We're the cowering Israelites behind the rocks. Like hoping somebody fights him. We're King Saul. Weeping and oh what are we going to do? And Jesus comes. While we were dead in our transgressions and sin. And he saves us. Have you received that gift? 
in your life. With every head bow and eye closed. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're the most important person in this room. And I would invite you today to follow Jesus. To follow Him and respond to Him in obedience. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have surrendered your sins to a holy God? You have confessed Him as Lord and Savior. And you have begun a relationship with Him. That's how we win. Our response speaks to intimacy. We are victorious because He is victorious. Are we with Him? Is He within you? And if He's not, in just a moment when I say amen, I would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have that relationship with Jesus. Find this center aisle. Find me. We'd love to talk to you about just that. Allow God to move in your heart, in your life. Maybe you're here and maybe you know that you have a relationship with Jesus, but your life, you've just been focused on your giants. Maybe today, whether you're here in person or you're online, maybe you need to just surrender to lay down those things. This battle is the Lord's. May that be true in your life. You give up control, trying to manipulate the outcomes. How's that working for you? Would you give over those things to Jesus? This altar is open. If you have any other decision that you'd like to make, or maybe you don't know what you need to do, and maybe you just need to talk to somebody. Man, I'm, we're here. We'd love to talk to you about any decision that you need to make as the Spirit leads you today. Father, have your will and way in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you that you have defeated our giants, that you have saved us from an eternity separated from you. But God, I pray for the one that is still afar away from you. May they come and respond to you in faith and grace. May they receive that armor fitted specifically for them. May you equip them to fight for your kingdom. Father, give us boldness to respond to you as we need. We love you. We thank you that you love us too much to leave us alone. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. Would you stand to your feet? As we sing, would you come? As the Spirit leads, would you come? As we sing, altar is open, would you come?